Good morning, Grace Church. Oh man, happy Thanksgiving. I am so excited to eat some pie this week. I just cannot describe how excited I am. My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor here. And we're going to do something. We're, we're in a series looking at gratitude. And we're going to do something a little different to start off. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to turn to a neighbor near you, say good morning, and tell them one thing you're grateful for, okay? Tell them one thing you're grateful for. Ready, set, go. I'm grateful you're here. Hey, Lauren. I'm thankful for you guys. Morning. Good. Awesome. Yes, Q is over here getting up. He's moving. I love that out of you. Um, hey, that's that's awesome. I, I love that. And that's, you know, that's one of the things we're talking about. It's just creating a more, uh, a better posture in our heart of gratitude. And, and last week, we actually talked about we talked about three things that help posture our hearts to be more grateful in our lives each and every day. And the first one was that God loves us and is for us. We talked about how God loves us and is for us. And then we talked about how God will give us what we need, but not necessarily what we want. Okay. And some of that, some of us in the room, we know exactly what that's like. God gives us what we need, but not necessarily what we want. And then the last thing we looked at was how God wants us to be grateful right where we are. And when we start to do those things, when we, when we believe these three things to be true, it starts to change the posture of our heart and allows us to be more grateful each and every day. And today we're, uh, we're going to be looking more at gratitude and the power it has in our lives. And I want to share something I found this past week with you guys. I was kind of doing some research on gratitude and and I don't know if you guys know this, but there have actually been a lot of studies done um, from like big prestigious places on, on the effect of gratitude and thankfulness in people's lives. Um, and one of the studies I found, it was done by the University of California and the University of Miami. And it, they looked at the effects of gratitude in people's lives. And they basically brought all these people together. And for 10 weeks, they did a case study where each day they had people write down at least three things that they were grateful for. Okay, so they brought all these people together, three things you're grateful for each and every day for 10 weeks. And here's what they found through those 10 weeks. These people became more physically active. They had less sick days. They found that they had lower fatigue and better health. They found that they had less anxiety they found that they had less depression. And for you doctors in the room, maybe you can explain this to me after the service, what this even means, but they found increased activity in the medial prefrontal cortex. Okay, and essentially what that means, that's the area of our brain that it led to increased positive attitudes and supportive attitudes towards other people around them. And it physically relieved stress in their lives. Not only that, but after the 10 weeks, okay, so the 10 weeks are up, they found all these things and they're like, but let's go back three months later and see kind of where everybody's at. So they go back three months later and what they found is a lot of people had kept those patterns and the people that had kept those patterns in their lives in adolescence, so they had some adolescence in the trial, in adolescence, they found a lower suicide risk. 
in all participants, they found that those that kept practicing gratitude daily, they found that they had a higher sense of self-worth and compassion for others and lower rates of depression. And so at the end of all of this, they came to this conclusion. And after looking at gratitude and studying all these people, what they found is that when you practice gratitude on a daily basis, it literally rewires the chemicals in your brain and gives you a healthier, happier, better perspective on life. That's the power of gratitude. And and that's why I share that because I know there's so many of you in this morning that are struggling with different things today. And I want to let you know that gratitude has power. And so often gratitude is actually the antidote we're looking for. Gratitude is the antidote that we're searching for. Because what happens when we're not grateful? It can lead us to unhealthy places. It can lead us to places where we start to compare ourselves with other people. We start to get jealous. Maybe we start to want their kid, their car, or we start to want their promotion, or we start to want their job or their finances. Or maybe some of you parents in the room, you're like, I just want their kids. That's all I want. Maybe you want their marriage. And all of a sudden you start to go down these patterns in this rabbit hole where you start to develop a fear of scarcity like we talked about last week or you start to see that there's no generosity in your life because you're so tightly holding on to everything that you have just because you don't want to lose it because what if? A couple weeks ago, I had something similar happen where I was invited to a church planting um, conference in Dallas, Texas, which by the way, if you've never been to Dallas, Texas, that's fine. Just skip it. Okay. Not that great. Um, but it was some of the, it was some of the sharpest church leaders and church planters I- I've just ever met in my entire life. Um, and and I, truthfully, I, I don't know how I got on the invite list. Uh, and I started to meet these people and I started to talk to some of these people And as I started to talk to them and, you know, kind of hear their story, I started to hear about how they just have massive churches, massive buildings. Like they have a, you know, big $3 million just student buildings just for their 6th through 12th graders. Or I started to hear about how they have just thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are tuning in online and showing up every single weekend and, I started to hear about what seemed to me like just unlimited budgets where it was like, ask and you shall receive, like no cap, bottomless pit, like whatever you want budget. And I started to hear about how some of them are getting invited to these speaking engagements all over the country to share their story and all over the world. And here's what started to happen in my mind. God, why don't we have a massive building? God. Why haven't you given me an unlimited budget? God, why God, why don't I get invited to speak all over the country? God, what makes them better than me? And everything that God has done for me in my life all of a sudden was in the rearview mirror and jealousy was sitting with me in the front seat. And there's an incredible book in the Bible. It's called the book of Job. And if you've never read the book of Job, 
man, it is a beautiful, poetic masterpiece. And what we find in the book of Job is there is this guy named Job and and Job, some scholars suggest, was the most influential and prominent man at the time that he lived. At the time that he lived. I mean, this guy had everything. He had money, power, influence, uh, land, possessions, healthy friendships, incredible family ties, an incredible family. And and the Bible specifically says 7,000 sheep, okay? So whatever that means, I mean, he had it all. The Bible's like, he had 7,000 sheep. He was kind of good. So for some of you, like you only have no sheep, like you don't compare to Job. Okay, so Job had all of it. And we also learn that on top of everything that he had, God loved him and thought very highly of him. In Job chapter one, I think this is so interesting. Job chapter one, verse eight, we see that God is, God, there is this angelic court and Satan has actually, God's enemy has actually come into the court because Satan is a fallen angel that, that thought he knew better than God and thought he could do things better than God and God cast him out and, and Satan comes into the court and God actually starts to brag about Job. Job chapter one, verse eight, listen to this. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. I mean, I pray that someday God is sitting up in heaven. Have you seen Brandon? Like, he's pretty, he's got it together. Like that will never happen. But this, God is looking down on Job and he's, he's, he's bragging about Job to Satan saying, this guy's got it. He has got it together. And this gives Satan an idea. And, and Satan starts to think and, and he tells God, well, God, that's, that's because he's never faced a real challenge. Why don't you let me test him? Why don't you let me take a crack at him? And I guarantee by the time I'm done with Job, he will curse you to your face. That's what Satan says. And I think it's so interesting. God says, okay, test him. You can't kill him. You cannot physically harm him. But you can test him. And so Satan does. In the rest of chapter one in the book of Job, what we see is Job goes on. He loses all of his possessions. He loses all of his land. He loses his power, his wealth, his influence. And on top of all of that, Satan takes away and kills his entire family. And Job loses everything by the end of chapter one. And and, and some of you right now, maybe, maybe you're struggling. I, I want you to hear the words that Job, Job writes and speaks in, in Job chapter 3, verse 26. This is what Job says. I have no peace. This is Job chapter 3, verse 26. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. And some of you this morning, that's where you're at. You're like Job. But he has an incredible friend that we meet in chapter 5. Well, actually in chapter 4, and then we're going to go into chapter 5. His name is Eliphaz. And Eliphaz comes to the rescue and speaks some truth into his life in in chapter 5, verses 2 to 7. Eliphaz says this, Surely resentment destroys the fool, and jealousy kills the simple. 
I have seen that fools may be successful for the moment, but then comes sudden disaster. Their children are abandoned far from help. They are crushed in court with no one to defend them. The hungry devour their harvest, even when it is guarded by brambles. The thirsty pant after their wealth. But evil does not spring from the soil, and trouble does not sprout from the earth. Verse 7, I think this is so interesting. People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. So Eliphaz tells Job, listen, be careful, because resentment and jealousy will rob you of your gratitude and leave us looking foolish. And, and this, all of us are prone to this, myself included, because each and every one of us were born with sin, this, this innate desire to disobey God's commands and be selfish. Every single one of us, we're born with that. We are born with that, going all the way back to Adam and Eve when they first disobeyed God. We are now born that way. And we wrestle with it, this innate desire to disobey God and be selfish. But Eliphaz doesn't stop there. He says, listen, I know this is hard and you're, you're prone to resentment. You're prone to jealousy, but I want to offer you a solution in verses 8 and 9. He says this, if I were you, I would go to God and present my case to him. He does great things, too marvelous to understand, and he performs countless miracles. I want to I read that again because I think for some of you in the room, like these two verses, this is all you needed to hear this morning. If I were you, I would go to God and present my case to him. He does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. See, Eliphaz tells Job, go to God and be reminded of all the things in your life that you have to be grateful for. All the ways that he has looked out for you and taken care of you. And and when I was struggling with feelings of jealousy and resentment at that conference, I went to God and you know what happened? I went to God and I was reminded. I was reminded of the apartment that God provided for my wife and I when we were living in Texas. He provided here in Easton before we even moved. I was reminded of Allie and my family encouraging us and loving us and spurring us on when we were thinking about church planting for the first time. I was reminded of all the families all the families that we've met here at Grace Church that have loved us and encouraged us and come alongside us. I was reminded of all the families that have found Jesus and started to follow him at this church. I was reminded of the hundreds of students that have heard about Jesus over the past few years because of our student ministry and our kids ministry. I was reminded of the seven months that, that it took to, to get ready and we launched in a church and, or not in a church, in a school and God provided us with an incredible auditorium where we met and we rolled wheelie carts in and we had kids ministry in a cla- kids classrooms and I, I, I was reminded of that and then I was reminded that seven months later God opened up Hockamock Plaza and gave us this incredible church space. I was reminded that even in the midst of all my failures and doubts and fears, I still have the privilege to preach 
and connect with each and every one of you and share God's love every single week. I was reminded that Jesus is everything in my life. I was reminded that God has provided, 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 provided over and over and over again in every area of my life. Because that's who God is. And when we go to him and we plead our case and we say, God, just remind me of what you've done, he will. Because he is a God of miracles that provides in ways that we never would have dreamt of. And he cares about his kids. He deeply cares about his kids. We just need to be reminded sometimes of all that he's done. And then once we're reminded... We're reminded of where we've come from. We start to celebrate little victories and little answered prayers and big answered prayers. And we remember all of these things and gratitude starts to fill our hearts. All of a sudden we find that gratitude gives us peace. Gratitude gives us peace. And and the key here is it's not gratitude rooted in what we have. It's not gratitude rooted in our possessions. It's not gratitude rooted in our careers. It's not gratitude rooted in power or influence or how many followers we have on Instagram. Eliphaz reminds Job, gratitude rooted in God's provision will lead you to peace. Gratitude rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done for you is the only way that you will be led to find peace. And he goes on to tell Job in in verses 10 to 11. We all want a friend like Eliphaz in our lives. I'm telling you. Verses 10 to 11, he goes on and he says this. He gives rain for the earth, talking about God, and water for the fields, and he gives prosperity to the poor and protects those who suffer. Eliphaz is reminding Job everything that we have comes from God in the first place. Everything. And because of that, when we're, we start to look at our lives through that lens of gratefulness that God has provided in every area of our life, we start to find peace in unsettling situations because we know God will provide. We start to find peace when we take risks for God because we know that God will provide. We start to find peace when we're generous with those around us because we remember that God has been so generous with us in the first place that Romans tells us even while we were sinners, as far away from God as possible, he still loved us. That is a generous God. And every single day, if we remember that verse, we have something to be grateful for. I love uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote most of, most of the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, um, guy that had everything and has this radical encounter with Jesus, and his whole life has changed. And he goes on and he plants churches, a lot of early churches, and he's seen as just this incredible person in, in church history. And in Philippians chapter 4, Verses 6 and 7. He's writing to the church in Philippi. And this is what he says. Verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I love that contrast there. I just, I need that more in my life. Just pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he has done. 
And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here's what's important in this. Paul starts off and he says, pray and tell God what you need. God's okay with you coming with your needs, with your wants, with your your deepest desires. He wants to hear those things. But it also says, and thank him for what he has done. And then what happens? So we bring our needs to God, but then we thank him for what he's done. And then you will experience God's peace. And then you will experience God's peace. See, some of you right now, you're not experiencing God's peace because all you're doing is telling him what you need and you're not thanking him for what you have. God's waiting to give you his peace. But it takes both. It takes both bringing our needs to God and and thanking him. Guys, that's called relationship. And that's what God wants. He's not a genie in a bottle. He wants relationship. And I love that, that Paul tells us, he goes on, when we do these things and God gives us peace, that that peace that he gives us actually protects our hearts. It protects our hearts as we live in relationship with Jesus. Now, what is, what is it protecting us from? It's protecting us from jealousy. It's protecting us from resentment. It's protecting us from bitterness. It's protecting us from anger and fear and comparison and selfishness. It protects us by reminding us daily that God has given us what we need and so much more through a relationship with Jesus. When I was uh, 12 years old, um, my, we, my family and I, we used to go, I, I used to live in Southern Maine, and we used to go every, every summer, this was like our big trip of the year, we'd get away for like four or five days, and uh, we used to go to either North Conway um, or uh, Smuggler's Notch, Vermont. Every, every summer, we basically alternated between the two, and when I was 12, we went to Smuggler's Notch, Vermont, um, and we'd get there, and you know, we're having a great time and we used to, you know, we'd go hiking and we'd basically just gorge ourselves on like junk food and you know, all the vacation stuff. You guys understand. Um, and about halfway through the trip, my dad, I'm the oldest. I have three younger siblings and, you know, he gathers us all in the living room with my mom and he's like, hey, we just, your mom and I wanted to talk to you about something. Now, automatically, uh, just just so you know something about me, anytime our parents sat us down, I immediately assumed I was in trouble, okay? That's just kind of a good general rule of thumb for me. Like, we're all in the room. Yeah, Brandon's in trouble. What did I do now? Okay, so we start talking, and my dad goes, you know, it was an incredible moment. I'm just so thankful for My dad just goes, you know, sometimes God starts to, um, starts to move us into new seasons, and you know, he calls us to do new, new things that are challenging and risky. And our job is, is to obey and, and trust and trust that God is good. That's our job. And he tells us this and he says, your mom and I just wanted to let you know that we feel like God is, is telling us that we need to, to leave the church that we're at right now. We just feel like it's time. We'd been there nine years, and um, yeah, it was time. God was calling 
them into a new season. And, and he says, now, I, I don't know what's next. Your mom and I, we don't know what's next. But we trust that God is good and that God will take care of us. So I'm ticked off because that means I have to leave all my friends. And But I remember a couple months later, so we did like an off-ramp. My dad had a couple months to kind of, he went back and he told uh, my uncle, who was the pastor, he told him like, hey, we're going to be leaving. And it was good. And they did like an off-ramp. And so two months come and my dad's final day, he leaves the church. And still to this point, we they didn't know what was next my mom and my dad had been praying for a long time over those two months so my dad leaves and the next day my dad got a got a call from a church in northern Maine and said, hey, we know you have family up here. Would you ever be interested in being a pastor up here? They had no idea that my dad had just left. And here I am 17 years later sharing with all of you how God provides. And not only that, but what happens when we see God provides, it changes us. My parents, throughout those couple months and and leading up to it, had like this scary amount of peace that, you know, as a 12-year-old, I don't know. I don't understand. I'm like, you guys should probably be worried right now. But they had this peace. A peace that comes and settles our heart because they trusted that God would actually do what he says he will do. They trusted that the Bible actually is truth. And they believed it. I want to go back to the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, he's again, he says this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And here's the secret. Remember, he just said, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Here's the secret. He says this, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, some of us, when we hear that verse, we think of Philippians 4.13 and we just think, oh yeah, that's what athletes put on their shoes. This verse means so much more. This verse is Paul telling us the secret. Listen, this is how you live with nothing or with everything. This is how you find joy when your stomach's empty. This is how you find joy when your stomach's full. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Do you guys know where Paul wrote this? Prison. Paul wrote this letter and penned these words sitting in prison. Prison near the end of his life, a life that had been full 
a life of following Jesus that had led to him being shipwrecked multiple times, being stranded at sea, being beaten by rods, being whipped, being stoned, being in a prison multiple times. And here's Paul towards the end of his life. And what we see is his foundation and grateful heart was not tied to things of this world. It was not tied to a warm bed. It was not tied to financial stability. It was not tied to a a paying job that gives us influence and power over people. Paul's foundation and grateful heart was tied directly to the faith that he had in Jesus. His belief that Jesus actually was and is who he said he was and is. That's where Paul stayed rooted. And that's how Paul's able to write these incredible words sitting in a prison cell. Because what we find is that gratitude always leads us back to Jesus. Every time. Every time. Gratitude always leads us back to Jesus. Paul's difficulties always led him back to Jesus. My dad being grateful for what we had and that God would provide. It led him and my mom to be closer to Jesus. It led me. Here I am 17 years later sharing that story with you and it brings me closer to Jesus. And some of you right now, I know, I know it's hard to talk about gratefulness in your life when there's so many things going wrong in yours. Where maybe there's marriage difficulties you're navigating. Maybe you just lost a loved one. Maybe you've been battling cancer. Maybe there's financial instability. You lost your job or you're dealing with depression or anxiety or loneliness And truthfully, it's actually been really hard to be grateful. And because of that, Jesus has actually felt distant and God has felt absent. And I I just want to challenge you. Like what we're talking about today, I want to challenge you. Will you just take some time each and every day, even in the midst of your trials, and just write down or thank God for one thing in your life. James, the book of James says, uh, I, I will, I will always, uh, I will, I will find joy in these, no, these trials, no matter what I will count it all as joy when trials come my way. There we go. I had to get there. I will count it all as joy when trials come my way. There's a story in the new Testament of Jesus meeting these 10 lepers and leper leprosy was something back then that we don't really have to deal with now. And people uh, these people would be cast out of society. If they, if they developed leprosy, they'd be cast out of society. It was a horrific skin condition. And once they were cast out of society, they had no friends, they had no family, they had no home, and they had no community. They lived outside of the city walls often. Some of you this morning, maybe you feel that way, a little tired, a little broken, a little lonely, a little lost. And this is incredible interaction with Jesus in Luke chapter 17, verses 12 to 16. It says this, as he entered a village, this is Jesus, as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance. Now, why are they standing at a distance? Because their leprosy, they were not allowed to get anywhere near people. Anywhere near people. Because remember, they'd been cast out. So they couldn't come anywhere near people. And they crying out said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. 
And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell on the ground to Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he has done. And this man was a Samaritan. Now, I want to pause and just really quick, we have to acknowledge again just how incredible Jesus is. The, the fact is, there are 10 people here that society never wanted to see again, and Jesus has compassion on them. There are 10 people here that, that nobody ever wanted to speak to again, and Jesus talks to them. There are 10 people here that society cast out, and Jesus says, you're welcomed in. It's just a reminder of how he cares for and loves those around him. The same way this morning that he cares and loves for you. But there are two things I want you to see from this story. And the first one is this. The the lepers were not healed until they got up and started to walk towards the priests. What does that tell us? God actually wants to see obedience in our lives. Will you actually do what he is telling you to do? I don't care if you call yourself a Christian, you've been following yourself for 30 years, but you're not doing what he says. Are you really following Jesus? Because this this takes obedience. For them to be healed, it actually took action. When they said yes and got up and started walking, that's when we saw healing. That's when we see healing. Oftentimes, obedience comes in our lives before blessing. We have to be obedient first. The second thing is this. They had to choose at the beginning whether or not they actually trusted Jesus with their troubles. I can I can just imagine they start to see Jesus coming and they, you know, they're all kind of talking to each other like, oh my gosh, is that Jesus? Like, I've heard that he can heal people. I've heard that he's the son of God. I've heard that he's an incredible teacher. Like, do we talk to him? What do we do? I know we're not supposed to talk to people and nobody talks to us. Nobody cares about us. So what are we, what are we supposed to do? And they make the decision to talk to him. Jesus have mercy on us and Maybe that's where you're at this morning where you don't really know if Jesus cares about you. You don't really know if he loves you. Can I really bring my needs to him and thank him and will he actually give me peace? And I want to let you know this morning that you might be a little bit like the Samaritan where you're feeling broken and tired and ungrateful and uneasy and you're feeling there's no way that Jesus actually cares about you. But if that's you this morning, Jesus is waiting for you to reach out to him. And once you do, he's going to leave you in a place where you fall on your hands and knees at his feet and just say, praise God. Praise God that you care about me. But you have to decide whether or not you trust him enough to obey him. Because here's the thing. Listen, every single one of us, myself included, uh, we've all sinned against a perfect God. God's one and only son offered himself as a ransom and a payment for our mistakes, past, present, and future. Every time we will disobey God and be selfish. He he paid for those mistakes. He was willing to give his life so that you might lay down your old life, your selfishness, and instead find new life in him. But that's a choice that you have to make. You have to make that choice. You have to surrender. You have to be obedient. I can't make you. God's not going to make you. That's something you have to choose to do. You have to surrender. 
Now, maybe this morning you, you've, you've been following Jesus, but truthfully, like you've been trying to find peace and gratefulness in other places than Jesus. You've allowed your gratefulness and your peace to be rooted in how well you're doing it in your career or how much money you have in your bank account or if your kids are doing okay. That's not, you're, you're never going to find lasting peace that, that surpasses all our understanding rooted in things anywhere other than Jesus. And, and just like Eliphaz told Job, we, we need to go to God and tell him what we need. And just like Paul says, we need to thank him for what we have. See, gratitude is the power to change every situation in our life. It has the power to literally rewire our brains. It has the power to give us hope when there isn't any. So my challenge to you guys is this week, and you know, a great opportunity is Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it is, is to take each day and, and thank God for maybe your friends or your family or this church family or health and provision in your life or maybe your job or maybe the faith that you have. Just thank God for, for, for Jesus and what he's done for us. Or maybe it's for opportunities that, that you've had to be generous. Or maybe it's, God, thank you for this opportunity that I have to step out and risk. I just want to be obedient and trust that you're going to take care of me. Whatever it is, I challenge you guys to do that this week. See, we find this kind of power and gratitude only through the person of Jesus. That's it. If you want gratitude to be the antidote, if you want gratitude to start to change your life, then it starts with Jesus. We're not talking about behavior modification up here today. Just be happier and you'll live happier. I'm talking about a radical transformation when you allow Jesus to take over your entire life. And it leads to transformation, not behavior modification. He is everything we will ever need, want, or desire. So let's thank him for who he is this morning. Let's pray. God, we have um, just so much to be thankful for. I God, even the, the, the breath in our lungs right now, God, is a gift from you. And so if that's what it takes for us to start to develop a, a posture of gratitude in our lives, then that's where I want to start. Just thank you for the breath in my lungs. God, I thank you this morning for your word. God, that these stories that we read, these, these, these people like Job that, that wrestled with hardship, God, and friends like Eliphaz that were there to encourage. God, I pray that we all can find an Eliphaz in our lives. God, I thank you for this, this day you've given us. God, I, I pray that you help us. God, help us when everything seems to be going wrong, when we have hardship in our lives, God, that we would count it all as joy and be grateful for who you are and what you've done for us. God, we pray that this week with Thanksgiving, God, would you give us opportunities to help our friends, families, neighbors that are spiritually disconnected, God, would you, I pray specifically that there would be people in this room that are, are able to have spiritual conversations sitting around the Thanksgiving table. God, conversations where they have an opportunity to share who Jesus is and what that he has done for them. God, we thank you for who you are and how you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.